welcome once again to another episode of Demand Gen Radio. The one program that brings you all the latest methods and technologies for driving growth and increasing demand. With the voice of Demand Gen, David Lewis. Thank you, Paul, for the introduction, and thank you, everyone, for tuning in to Demand Gen Radio. As you know, twice a month, we bring you the top industry experts and thought leaders, authors, marketing technology firms, and senior marketing leaders from around the world to teach you the methods and technologies for high-performance marketing. And it's always great that if you enjoy the program, please help spread the word to your teammates and colleagues, whether that's on LinkedIn or Twitter, Facebook, or wherever you network with other passionate digital marketers. And so we can help educate as many people as possible. Today's episode, I had the pleasure of attending the Serious Decisions Tech Exchange just a few weeks ago in Austin, Texas. And it was a two-day conference focusing on digital marketing technology. And Jen and I had a chance to catch up there. And we briefly talked about the study that they conducted on the state of marketing automation systems. So I've invited her to the program today to bring you the findings of the study, just in case you didn't attend the conference or want a refresher of the content that was covered. So Jen, welcome. Welcome to the program. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I uh, look forward or happy to catch up. Why don't we start off with giving folks a little bit of a quick backgrounder on the motivation behind the study and how you conducted it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, there's just been such, uh, as we all know, a, a huge rise in all sorts of technology capabilities. And, you know, there's predictive marketing, there's these content delivery platforms, there's account-based marketing platforms. And a lot of my colleagues and even some of our clients have just been asking the question, you know, is marketing automation even still relevant in this day and age? And so we take a lot of calls um, from our clients around marketing automation. So in our hearts, we know it to be true that it's very much alive and well. Um, but we wanted to refresh um, some information around how people are adopting and using marketing automation and just really see how things have changed over the past couple of years. So the study itself, you know, we surveyed over 300 B2B, B2B organizations across all dimensions of, of revenue bands. Um, and again, we also had a nice range of years of experience with marketing automation, and that's organizational years of experience. Uh, so we've had companies that brand new to marketing automation, uh, up to a, a batch of companies that have more than 10 years of adoption with marketing automation. That was sort of the context of how we or how we, we initiated the study and sort of the response levels that we got. And that was eye-opening for you personally because uh, for folks who don't know your background, you know, you came from the practitioner side. You were on the client side for years and using marketing automation. Then you went on to Eloqua and you were, um, you know, there for several years and one of their best practice consultants. So giving people advice on what to do with the technologies. And then for the past, what, three plus years, you've been over at Serious Decisions as, uh, you know, one of the research directors and covering the space. So you've you've been around the block for a long time and have seen this evolution. And it, it kind of made me smile when you said, you know, people ask the question, is marketing automation still alive and well? And I look at it as it's the cornerstone of mark tech. It's the essential system that you need that everything else is is surrounded by. So let's jump into the, the study. There's some fascinating uh, themes that you, you know, kind of the, the information consolidated into, you know, things around, you know, is it worth it? So let's let's start there because I found our discussion really fascinating around several different parts of that. So around justification, what what are you hearing? What were the takeaways? 
Yeah, yeah. Justification was a big theme that came out of it and is a big theme of the conversations that we have and that I'm, I'm sure you guys have as well. But, you know, whether new or been doing, mar- you know, working with marketing automation for a long time, marketers are just constantly having to justify the value in that investment and constantly having to answer the question, is it worth it? And not just for themselves, but for their leadership teams, for their board in some cases. Um, and so they're constantly having to prove its value. And one of the things that we did see is that um, a, a huge expansion in the number of use cases or the types of use cases that marketing automation is being used to support. So back in our 2014 version of this study, it was primarily focused on demand creation. But this year, in the results that we just had, we've seen a huge rise in using it for sales enablement, supporting the post-purchase customer life cycle, um, even a, almost 70% using it for, for reputation efforts and brand building. So it was great to see that in order to sort of squeeze out all of the value of that investment, marketers are really looking beyond just demand creation programs and execution to apply the marketing automation capabilities. The other thing we found, too, is that, you know, there's always been this notion that oh, we, we buy a technology and it's going to be the silver bullet that's just going to happen. And with marketing automation, it's people expect that they're going to invest in this technology, they turn it on, and all of a sudden it's going to just rain pipeline out of nowhere. <laughs> and you and I both know that's not true. Right. And what we found in the study was that those that had indicated that they were getting the value and had, getting strong value out of marketing automation were really working and leveraging partners in a broader ecosystem to get the value out of that. So a lot of the people that were getting value were outsourcing a lot more of the capabilities than those that weren't getting value. Um, you know, things like systems integration and implementation and the setup, data management, um, working with partners around just optimizing the environments in general and looking even to at content and asset development and management. And so I think that was interesting. In general, we saw most of the survey people getting the value and being able to articulate that value, but that is not the same thing as satisfaction with their vendors. <laughs> Definitely and not. Did, and the feedback and, uh, that you're hearing was, you know, it's 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 music to my ears because, you know, DemandGen's whole purpose is to help people get value of marketing technology. And, and right before we kicked off, I was talking with Naomi Alston over at Shutterstock. She's in New York City in the Empire State Building. And they got marketing automation just this past year. It was their first time making an investment in it. And she was specifically talking about how management said to her and the team, we need to see ROI quickly from this investment because they had never invested in these tools. It was a, a you know a fair chunk of the marketing budget. And she said, you know, we could not have gotten there without leveraging a partner like DemandGen because we have a very small team. And she goes on to say, as in me, you know, so she needed the help. <laughs> but it really underscores your point that you saw across the research that we've, we continually each year have to justify the investments that we're making in MarTech. And because marketing automation is, like I said, that cornerstone application. You also found, uh, you know, that sometimes the tool is to blame, right? And migration was another theme that came out. What What do you think led that to be? What, what do you think contributed to migration being such a hot topic in the in the research? Well, we knew it was going to be a hot topic going into it because we get a lot of questions, you know, and especially since there's been consolidation in the market and changes in the vendors in the market, we see that we see that. But we were surprised to see that pretty much fifty percent 
of our B2B clients that responded planned are planning to evaluate a migration in the next 12 months. That's a, it's <laughs> a startling number. high number. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, we were surprised to just see, like, there's just not a lot of loyalty um, to the marketing automation providers themselves. And there's a lot of choice in the market, and so that creates, you know, confusion and the need to, again, justify those investments. But, you know, we, it's an important thing. It was interesting to see, though, that those that had under 10 years of experience with marketing automation, the primary reason to not migrate was a fear of the expense of the change and the cost that it would take to go through. And that's not just the cost of the licenses themselves, but the training and, you know, the investment and the setup and all of that. Those that had more than 10 years of experience with marketing automation their reason to potentially stay or their fear for change was really around the risk and the risk of changing processes and, you know, keeping the lights on while going through a migration process. So interesting to see how that broke down based in in maturity um, and experience. But, you know, in general, migration shouldn't be a knee-jerk reaction to things that are going on, and it should be sort of a carefully considered approach um, in that. But, Lots of people evaluating and, and, and trying to determine if they're going to stay with their existing provider or potentially make a change. And clearly, you know, I'm not going to name any brands, but there are definitely marketing automation tools that are entry-level tools, let's say, that they are systems you will outgrow. They're designed to be systems you outgrow, essentially, that they're not trying to compete with the big, you know, the the top three brands out there, let's say, but they're a great place to get started to move you off batch and blast marketing and to do some level of nurturing or scoring. However, because I know your audience really well and who you guys conduct the research, I don't think it's those people that started with the entry-level solutions. I think there's a lot of folks in your research that have an application or inherited one, and they want to shoot the tool. They want to put the blame on the tool and say, look, we're going to migrate to something else. Maybe some of those migrations make sense. Maybe it's, hey, we we need a, a reason or excuse to say why things haven't produced the ROI that we've been looking for. But it is encouraging to see that the people that have been using it for longer, like you said, 10 years, you know, they've stitched it into their infrastructure. They've learned how to incorporate it. And so migration is extremely costly for them to do that. And I can tell you just anecdotally in our business, and we probably worked with 500 companies over the past nine years. Two years ago, we were still seeing a fair amount of migrations. Um, we're seeing less and less of those now. So we're seeing kind of the dust settle that people are buying, you know, the, the leading brands out there, their robust applications, and they are spending more money moving into those applications and using them rather than taking their precious budget and spending it on migration, which doesn't necessarily get you something at the end of that initiative. Exactly. And a word of caution. And then, you know, just for those of you that can't justify the value, just switching a tool isn't going to solve that particular problem. You've definitely got to have a baseline and understand, you know, where you are, because otherwise you're just going to be in the same place at the end of the implementation of the next tool. Don't shoot the tool, as you, as you aptly said. Absolutely. Well, you know what? There's a couple more themes. Let's take a quick break, uh, Jen, and dig into the other themes and the research that came back. Um, I'm talking with Jen Horton, Research Director over at Serious Decisions, and we will be right back. 
Whether you're producing a seminar series, user's conference, lunch and learn, or exhibiting at a trade show, Validar has a solution. From capturing leads at trade shows to managing on-site registration, tracking session attendance, gathering information, and providing sponsors lead retrieval, we have a full suite of solutions for you. Since 2005, Validar has been turning corporate events and trade shows into better business. Call 888-784-2929 or visit us at Validar.com. And now back to Demand Gen and their guest. All right, and we are back with Jen Horton from Sears Decisions, and we were talking about the state of marketing automation and the research that they conducted and the key findings. So, Jen, what are some other big takeaways from the study? Yeah, well, I think, you know, we always want to go back and sort of visit how people are doing with, I think, you know, the the common processes or demand creation processes that uh, most organizations uh, invest in marketing automation for. The first one commonly being nurturing. And so one of the things we're always curious about is how people are designing their nurture programs, what constructs they're using to, to focus that content on, and then which which design strategies have, are the most effective. And, you know, I think the biggest thing that we saw is that most organizations are finally moving away from a one-size-fits-all nurture approach, which is great to see. see a real uptick in leveraging industry as a focus for segmentation and nurture track development, uh, topic-based, persona-based, and even by Sage and the buyer's journey. Um, and so, you know, great to see these different dimensions being incorporated into the nurture design. In terms of the effectiveness, it ranks pretty similarly. I think number one was topic-based, two was industry-based, three was persona-based, and four was buying stage-based. And I, you know, at first we were surprised that persona and buying stage were on the bottom of the ranking. But then if you think about it, you know, people still really struggle with their data and being able to get that segmentation in a way um, that's most effective. So I think that's probably a reason for, for why it's not at the top just yet. But definitely a huge increase over 2014 in terms of those dimensions for nurture design. Yeah, it's good to see that everybody is, you know, using the tools for, for marketing while you sleep, right? And not just putting nurtures in place that address the funnel, which, which is important, but actually taking the time to have content by industry or more one-to-one marketing and not a one-size-fits-all nurture. We're definitely seeing those same trends as well. But you got to have a starting place, right? If you can't boil the ocean uh, your first year and, and come out of the gate with you know dozens and dozens of nurtures for all the different segments of your funnel and for all the different personas and industries, you got to get started somewhere. But you know your subscriber base and your customer base is is you know much more modern marketers, and it's good to see that the research studies show that they have gotten to that place of maturity. Anything yeah. else on nurturing or some of the things that, uh, it, w- what are the areas that you found in the nurtures where they're primarily focusing? So, you know, is it by buying stage or what, what are some of the top priorities in terms of where they're focusing the unique and distinct nurtures? Yeah, I think most people had a dimension of industry lens on that. I think um, over two-thirds of the survey respondents had an industry lens um, in terms of their design. Um, and still, there, you know, there's a decent, I'd say about a third were about focused on persona and buying stage as well. But I think industry and topic-based is something that they can get their arms around in terms of data and in terms of content alignment to that. You know, I think organizations are still trying to figure out how to best operationalize personas in a, in a way, in systems, and in a way that they can engage them most effectively. 
Yeah, if you don't um, have a, a dimension in your data around the person's title or role or some even a gender um, component, it's really hard to localize content and personalize it um, because you don't have a unique and distinct attribute. You know, someone's email address and their name is not enough to, to necessarily give that persona. But industries, there's so much data now that you know, data appending tools. We talk about the Martech stack, right? I can append yep. data to contact records and pull in a lot of stuff that allows me to do more personalized nurturing and uh, I, you know, industry is a good place to start, right? Cause you can get those variables from the data, but persona often have to capture off forms or what we advise our clients on. If you can't get it through a form, take a look at how people are navigating through your website and you can draw some logical conclusions as the type of persona they are by the kind of content they're consuming. Example of that is, uh, you know, Insulet makes diabetes uh, management products and you can absolutely see how their website is organized by caregivers and doctors and patients. So you know who the audience based on what they're looking at in the site, you could append that to your contact record and then put them into nurtures that are more distinct for them if you weren't asking that question. That's a great example. Great example. Yeah, I think another area that came out in the survey, we always look at lead scoring. <laughs> and two years ago, I'd say it was about 70% of organizations had adopted it. But many, I think over half of the, those respondents weren't happy with the value they were getting. See, a big evolution of scoring and leverage, we've now got about 90% of organizations leveraging lead scoring. And we were so pleased to see that people are really doing the work to build these models. And so I think that's why we're seeing real adoption now, because um, about 70% are using real statistical analysis to define the criteria in the model. About a little under 70% have more, more than one model, which I think is also relevant, especially for, you know, mid to enterprise size clients. But people having two, three, four, in some cases, dozens of scoring models, depending on the complexity of the, of the, the go to market strategy. We see a lot of organizations with an account based model in their marketing automation platform, and about 60% are using predictive analytics. Um, or using a predictive analytics vendor for account scoring. And um, so just, again, a lot more, I think, um, of a, a data-driven approach to building out the model versus, say, adopting a, a template kind of off the shelf and applying generically. So definitely seeing a, a nice revolution in, in lead scoring for, for the better. Um, and then I think the other area, too, was reporting, that was another big change. So when we did the survey two years ago, there was a high satisfaction with the reporting capabilities offered in marketing automation. This year, it was like they were very satisfied with marketing automation reporting capabilities. And when we drilled into it, it was a surprise when we initially looked at the data, but then when we thought about it, it was like, oh, well, we're getting so much call, so many calls around people evaluating third-party analytics platforms. So I think like 70% of the organizations are leveraging third-party analytics. So I think the expectations have decreased a little bit around what reporting needs to be out of marketing automation. Um, and so therefore, we see a higher level of satisfaction. But in general, I mean, you know, there's always going to be limitations in the marketing automation environment and in the Salesforce automation environment. And so we're actually happy to see that clients are really investing in sort of that third-party layer. I don't know. Yeah, what, are you, what are you seeing? I'm, I'm, you know, when you show that 92% satisfaction rating, I kind of like, wow, I was surprised because the conversations that we have with our clients are at the other spectrum and they have marketing automation. So, you know, my, my predisposition to it is, 
everybody is unhappy with the out-of-the-box reporting solutions that they have. But I think the research is showing that there's been such a commitment over the past couple years to have dashboards and to have campaign attribution and to have the components. We've also seen a big increase in MarTech tools to assist with that, that maybe holistically as an answer, are you, are you closer to where you want it to be? Certainly it's encouraging to see that. And, you know, it's always, you know, I, I, I sometimes kid with the marketing automation vendors. I was over at Oracle yesterday and I said to them, you know, it's just like Jerry Maguire. If your marketing automation demos, showed people when you launch into it a demo of marketing performance and contribution, then you have them at hello. I mean, how to build emails and landing pages and everything else, that's great. It's it's almost table stakes that your tool would have those capabilities. But what is unique and distinct is the ability to show the impact and ROI. So it's great to see that people are happier. I think they're putting more uh, investment into it. And on the scoring thing, you know, again, ironically, I just, like I said, had a call with Shutterstock this morning. I was speaking with Naomi over there. And one of her key initiatives for 2017 is to implement now a scoring model with us for their inside sales team. Last year was for the field sales team. Now it's for the inside, different segments, different sizes. There's there's different components. And yes, just like you, we are seeing our clients embrace the account-based marketing solutions so they can do account-based scoring and predictive tools. Several of them out there are being used to do a better job of appending data and coming back with, you know, actually predictive algorithm usage into the lead scoring models. And, you know, as you know, in my book, chapter five is all about lead scoring. And I, you know, wrote that three years ago and I said, it's coming predictive. It's not really there yet. Well, it's three years later and it's, it's here and here to stay and it's working. It's paying great dividends. All right, let's make sure we get to uh, the final theme that we saw in in the research. I really enjoyed going back over the slides after I came back from from uh, Texas. But you know about capability and expansion, and you know who should be what should be they adopting next around the tool. So jump into that. Yeah, well, we we all like the next shiny new object. Yep. <laughs> and everyone everyone's always asking what should we be adopting next, and so that definitely came through loud and clear. And that was a big part of, I think, the discussion at the TechX event as well. Um, but in our survey, the most popular areas of investment in the next 12 months, um, the first were platforms around content delivery and content experiences, including, you know, event management, web personalization, um, all, all of those elements sort of included that. And I think, you know, there's a whole host of tools and point solutions that make it easier to create interesting and compelling and interactive experiences for your prospective buyer. And so I, I, I see that being appealing uh, to a lot of folks. Um, the second one was predictive, which I don't think is too surprising. Um, there's a lot of buzz around it. People are using it, but people are also evaluating it and also evaluating it beyond just the use case of lead scoring. You, you mentioned account scoring, you know, customer scoring. I think there's there's a variety of different applications that predictive analytics can be applied against. So that was the second most popular area. And then the third most popular area, uh, not surprising, because if you want to do any of the first two, you have to have really great data. So looking at stronger investments in data management, data augmentation, acquisition um, across contacts, accounts, you know, percent, helping to identify personas within systems and the like. So those were the three most popular areas for future investment of ex- expanding their capabilities directly within marketing automation and in the broader ecosystem to, to the point that you made about it being the cornerstone. In general, when we talk to clients about it, because I, you know, I just got off, <laughs> got off the phone before this call just saying, 
should we be buying this, this, and this? And I just had to ask, well, why? Why are you asking me that question? What out of your current capabilities isn't working for you uh, along those lines? And so we like to talk to clients about, you know, define what your process is and what your business goals are and what are the required capabilities to execute those processes and have a clear map of what that capabilities are. And then from there, you can audit and understand how to activate that map. You can do an audit against what the tools that you have in place and how well or how poorly they support the capabilities that are required. And then you can figure out where your gaps are and where there may be opportunities to fill those gaps or opportunities to work with providers that may support those capabilities better than what you have today. But the change, the change in the, in the capabilities and in your stack shouldn't come from there's new technology out there to be evaluating. The change should come from what are your capability needs and then you yep. can evaluate the technology a little bit more effectively. So, yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on the program and, and doing a recap of the research. Really appreciate it, Jen. You know, we so many of our clients have used serious decisions over the years for getting research and, and best practice advice. And if you don't know Jen Horton, look her up on LinkedIn. Great person to have in your network and get more familiar with serious decisions. I hope you have a great holiday as we approach the end of the year. And uh, to everyone out there, I hope you all have a great holiday. I'm looking forward to reconnecting with you uh, after the first of the year. A replay of today's episode is going to be available uh, that you can share with your network on demandgenradio.com. And you can always tune in to Demand Gen Radio by searching iTunes for Demand Gen, and we're available on Google Play as well. But this concludes this episode of Demand Gen Radio. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Jen, for joining us. And this is Dave Lewis saying farewell and reminding you always to make marketing matter most in your organization. You've been listening to Demand Gen Radio, bringing you the top industry experts, thought leaders, authors, marketing technology firms, and senior marketing leaders from around the world to teach you the methods and technologies for high-performance marketing.